Yeah, my name is Willis Weatherford. If we haven't met yet, would love to meet you. Um, this week, I found myself uh, elbow deep in what's called a sump pump, which is exactly as gross as it sounds. It's a horrible experience, and I'm not done yet. And um, I have a part coming in the mail that's going to enable me to fix my sump pump back to its proper function. I tell you this because there comes a time when you realize you do not have the skills that you need to accomplish the task in front of you. And I reached that point this week. And I believe that all of us are at the place in our lives where we don't have the skills that we need. Uh, we don't have the things that we need. Um, what we need is Jesus. We can't create him on our own. We can't solve our problems on our own. But he comes to us and he gives us what we need. And this is about him. This is about him. So whoever you are, whatever you're going through, whatever you're feeling, um, whoever has accepted you or rejected you, you belong. You belong to Jesus. You belong here. And I'm glad you're here. And I'm here to tell you uh, for myself that I'm not a good person, but Jesus loves me and he loves you. And that changes everything. And we see that writ large. We see that beautifully in the book of Revelation. So this semester, I'm super excited to be going through the book of Revelation. Some of you, are, I've actually heard from some of you, like, I don't think I've ever read that book at all. Some of you, like, maybe know a lot about it. Whoever you are, this book has something else, but something for us. But some of you may be asking yourselves, why should I make time for RUF large group this spring? Either because you're looking at your class load and it's heavy, and you're like, I'm not sure I can carve out that hour each week. Or because Revelation is kind of weird and freaky and you're like, I don't know if I really want to dive into that. And so um, I want to give you today three reasons uh, to invest an hour each week with us, with RUF. Three reasons. Okay, so they are, number one, to hear God's urgent message for you, to receive the promised blessing, and finally to see Jesus like never before. That's the three reasons. That's where we're going tonight. Let's pray. Father God, I, I really do, among all the, the pressures of our lives, all the time, constraints, and commitments, thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for bringing us through the break. Thank you for bringing us to this moment to hear your word. And so we just ask Jesus that you would meet us. You would give us what we need, what we can't get anywhere else. So we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So first reason to come each week this spring to hear God's urgent message for you. Before I go farther, let me read this long passage. I'm going to try to read it like real dramatic, okay, <laughs> to like keep our attention. This is the whole first chapter of Revelation. This is what I'm preaching on tonight. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants, that's us, the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from jesus christ the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom 
priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, I was on the island called Patmos, an account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. All right. <laughs> with that... Let's get started with God's urgent message to you. Okay, so let's go back up to the top there. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So that first word in the passage the revelation is obviously where the name of the book comes from. The Greek word is apocalypsis, which sounds like apocalypse for good reason. That's where we get that word. And what it means is just unveiling or uncovering what is hidden. Uh, two other places in the Bible when it's used. So Simeon, this old dude, when Jesus is born, his parents take him to the temple. And this old guy, Simeon, who's been waiting his whole life for the Savior, he's holding baby Jesus in his arms and he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And then Paul, when he's telling about this encounter he had with the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Emmaus, his conversion experience, he says, For I'd have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The God of the Bible doesn't want you to be in the dark. He wants to reveal himself to you. He doesn't want you to be in the dark, but you are. We all are. If your main goal is your own happiness, you're purposeless. If your perspective is limited to what you can see, taste, hear, smell, touch, you're aimless. If your strongest lifeline is your own ability, you're helpless. If your hope is limited to this world, 
you're hopeless. And if your friends are limited only to those that one day will die, you're friendless. But tonight, Jesus brought you here to reveal to you that he's your friend forever. Because he's the friend of sinners who swallowed up death and he drank it down to the dregs so that you don't have to fear it anymore. You don't have to fear death. We don't have to be in the dark either. We can discover true purpose, lasting joy, the truth about reality, our sure hope, and our everlasting help because Jesus is shining the light of his word into our darkness. So light us up, King Jesus, in Revelation. What does he want to reveal to us? Like, what does he want to show? What does he want to uncover? What hidden thing? He wants to reveal to us, verse 1, the things that must soon take place. So let's get our timeline straight. John wrote Revelation 95 AD, uh, so about 60 years after Jesus' death, while he, John, was imprisoned on this island called Patmos. It's like right in between Turkey and Greece, middle of the ocean. Ancient practice, you don't like somebody, just put them on an island, middle of the ocean. Sounds kind of nice now, but like no food, no water, kind of rough. Anyway, uh, so how, how soon after? It says the things that must soon take place. So we've got to presume like, okay, it's after 95 AD. Like, is it the next few years, hundreds of years? So this is kind of cool. Revelation is a specific kind of literature. Uh, and it's not, we're going to talk more about it later, but it's not limited like by time, like a book of history usually is, where it kind of starts at the beginning and just kind of chronologically works through and ends at the end. Actually, Revelation, it is able to loop backwards. It can jump forwards. It can reiterate different times. That's the kind of literature it is, which brings us to one of the keys of understanding Revelation, which is its genre. It's genre. So uh, my brother-in-law, Logan, once told his uh, then-girlfriend, now-wife, Erica. So Logan tells Erica that the, the old classic thriller, horror film, The Shining... Who's seen The Shining? Raise your hand if you've seen it. Okay. So for those of you who don't know, The Shining is a petrifying, very disturbing uh, horror thriller movie that um, not everyone in this room would like because it's just kind of like rough and actually scary. But he tells his girlfriend that it's a romantic comedy. <laughs> and it sounds kind of nice, right? Like The Shining, yay. And so she goes, with it. she doesn't know any better. She's never seen it. So they go. And uh, of course, as the movie goes on, but she gets more and more confused and eventually realizes it is not a romantic comedy. It's a very different genre. Somehow they still got married. Uh, they're still very much in love, which just goes to show. Um, guys, not a recommended strategy for your dating lives. Um, I tell this story because it illustrates how important genre is to understanding a movie or a work of literature, this book of the Bible. If we misunderstand how God is communicating to us in Revelation, we're going to totally miss it. We're going to be as confused as Erica was watching The Shining, expecting it to be a rom-com. Revelation has two main overlapping genres. Okay, so what is the genre of Revelation? It's kind of two main overlapping. It's an epistle of apocalypse. That's the genre of Revelation. So here's what that means. And as an epistle, it means it's a letter. So Revelation is a letter. You can see that in the first verses. It's written to the churches of Asia. And this means it's not just like the musings of this guy, John, who happened to have this vision. is like, oh, I'm going to write it all down because it's super trippy and weird. 
No, like he, he wanted to send it because he thought it was important for these people. And actually, God thought it was important for these people to see. And this is actually really helpful for us to understand what revelation means. Because whatever we think about it, it has to be bounded by plausibility for his audience. By the churches in Asia in the first century. So, if we read Revelation, we read a passage and we're like, I think this is telling me that UVA wins the basketball tournament this March in 2023. Some of you might be happy about that, but like that would make no sense to the original audience, right? Because they don't know what that stuff is. So, we have to be like, okay, I guess it doesn't mean that. So, it's actually a helpful interpretive tool for us. But what sort of letter is Revelation? Like, not just any letter, what kind of letter? What does it contain? It primarily contains apocalypse, which is this other genre. And we usually think that apocalypse means like the catastrophic end of the world, like just fire, brimstone, like everybody's dying, you know. Uh, and the original Greek language, as I said, actually doesn't have any of that. It just means unveiling, uncovering. It's as though God pulls back the curtain and allows us to finally see like what's really going on, but in terms that we can understand. And Revelation isn't meant to be confusing. We feel confused by it, but it's not Revelation's fault. Like the symbols and the images and like the crazy beasts and stuff that you read about are meant to be very comprehensible, even to children. And if we will understand that God is revealing something in terms we can understand, it helps us out a lot. So that's the key feature of apocalyptic literature. Otherworldly, God-given visions, like dramatic scene changes, fast-forwarding, rewinding, crazy beasts and stuff, all of which illustrate our reality in some way. They're referential to our reality. So this is kind of like to understand this. Um, I'm starting to watch the History Channel uh, show alone. Who watches alone? Like the survival one. Just dudes, classic, predictable, yeah. Okay, so imagine like uh, 10 men, they're thrown out in the wilderness, they have 10 items, and they have to like try to survive longer than anybody else. And <laughs> of course, like after the first night, like three of them are already gone because they're like, they miss their wives and they're scared of the animals and stuff. So anyway, but like it's a reality TV show. And in reality TV, what we expect and what we get is like there's a shot and maybe there's like a sub-narration on the screen and then like maybe there's a voice from the background like, David right now is absolutely terrified of the cougars and is thinking about going home. And it's kind of like just shot by shot, scene by scene, documentary style of the way things go. And we would like, I would like, a documentary style reality TV show of how the end of the world happens. Right? Just give it to me play by play, Jesus. Like, what's going to happen? What do I need to be ready for? Just lay it all out for me. And that's not what we get. That's not what we get in Revelation. It's more like a movie trailer. Okay, so like a highlight reel... A movie shows like a highlight reel where it, it introduces some of the main characters and some of the big scenes, maybe some of the like big moments and introduces some of the tension, but it doesn't give you everything. And it may not even be like in chronological order, but the purpose of it is to get you to go see the movie. It has a point. And so what's the point of Revelation? This book that's like a movie trailer to the end of the world. What's the point? And there's two points of Revelation. These are going to go a little faster. The first point of Revelation is that you would receive the promised blessing. And the second is that you'd see Jesus like never before. So first, to receive the promised blessing. God proclaims three blessings. Some of the clearest and most direct in all of Scripture. Verse 3, 
Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear, and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So, read aloud Revelation, blessed by God. Hear Revelation read aloud, blessed by God. Keep what is written in it, blessed by God. Now you know why I wanted to preach on Revelation, right? This says, if I just preach on Revelation and read aloud to you, I'm going to be blessed. I believe that, not because there's some kind of like magic in the words and some sort of incantation type thing, but because God wants this message to get out. There's blessing attendant to it. But God also says he's going to bless you just by hearing. If you hear these words read aloud. How's that for simple, right? People have been trying to figure out like some special way to be blessed by God and like a second blessing and some kind of a weird thing, way to be or thing to do to where like you reach level two Christianity and like you're actually fully blessed by God. And this says actually... All you have to do is show up and hear God's word. So I'm glad you're here. Right? I'm glad you're here. What does he mean blessed, though? What does that mean to be blessed? It says blessed in keeping or obeying the words, for the time is near. Meaning the contents of this book aren't just meant to be like a weird story that you read and walk away from it like, oh, that was kind of weird. I guess I'm going to go read Romans. It's like you're meant to keep them, to live your life in accordance with, with them. These words are necessary knowledge for what's next. The words on these pages are required reading for the rapidly approaching return of the king. You need to understand what Revelation is telling you. Everyone else on this campus is just blindly going towards what is coming, not knowing, and not knowing how to live their life any different in preparation of that. But you can know what's coming, and you can live your life differently. That's the blessing. Get it. Show up. Second point of the movie trailer is that revelation. This is my uh, last point here. Favorite point. As we come each week, we're going to see Jesus like never before. We're going to see Jesus like never before. So when Jesus is walking around in first century Palestine, right? He's got dirty feet, sandals, ride the donkey sometimes. Um, that really is what our king looks like. Uh, we got to wrangle with that. Like we have a humble king. And maybe you thought that's all he'd ever be, but it's not. That's not what he looked like before he became a man. And it's not what he looks like now. Uh, and we're not, even, we're not even close to ready for what he's going to look like when he comes back. So what does he look like when John sees him? In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, just means human, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. Okay, what do we do with that? <laughs> Are we supposed to imagine Jesus walking around with like an actual broadsword coming out of his mouth? This is a little confusing. The descriptions go from pretty normal, you know, long robe, golden sash, to intense, uh, you know, feet polished like bronze, eyes like fire, voice like the roar of many waters, to otherworldly, seven stars in his hand, sword coming out of his mouth, face like the sun. What are we supposed to do with this? Okay, so this is work. Revelation forces us to learn how to read the Bible. The first thing we have to remember is that this letter, to the original audience, remember it's a letter, we have to think about how it was understood by the first audience. They heard it. 
They couldn't read, most of them. There was somebody in their local small, tiny house church that would read it aloud and everyone else would just hear it. So they're hearing this, these descriptions come through their ears all at once. They're not trying to sit down and figure out like, okay, what does it mean that his feet are like bronze? Let me flip over to like this cross-reference back in the Old Testament and then look up in my encyclopedia of the ancient Near East, like what bronze meant. They weren't doing that. It was just they're getting this whole image all at once. And so we are invited to do the same, to just imagine the whole image, this, this glorious Lord Jesus, and whatever else we can say about it, he's, uh, he's alive, he's obviously risen from the dead, he's glorious, he seems powerful, frankly a little terrifying. That's what we're meant to get here, right? Um, but there's one other thing that helps us to understand this image. Some of these things are direct references to other parts of the Bible, and so some of you sitting here are like, the sword from the mouth, that sounds kind of familiar. You're probably thinking of this passage from Hebrews 4.12. It says, the word of God, the word from the mouth, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, just like in Revelation, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. How about this one? Isaiah 11.4. With righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. So when a biblical parallel is as clear as that one, we have to take notice and understand that God is showing us in picture form the reality that Jesus' words are so powerful, potent. And we saw that in Luke, right? Last semester, uh, he tells the stormy ocean, be still. And it's just like, immediately, still. He tells the demons to come out of people, and they just do, immediately. But the word, and this is important, y'all, the words are not only calming and peace-giving and life-giving. There's a reason that the image given is a double-edged sword. His words are words of healing, but also of judgment blessing but also cursing maybe you thought that jesus was simply and comprehensively just about forgiving and pacifying comforting but revelation shows us that jesus is also about judgment he's about vengeance he's about conquering he's about the death of the unrepentant and if that bothers you which like those are hard things if that bothers us we may have a small view of who Jesus is. We may have a small view of what salvation is, of what it means to be redeemed by God. We may be looking at like salvation in the gospel through the wrong end of a telescope, so it just like shrinks down and is tiny. Because if you're not if you're not tracking on like what it is that you've been saved from, being saved by Jesus feels almost worthless. What did Jesus save you from? He didn't save you from neutral. He didn't save you from ignorance. Jesus saved you from his own wrath. Jesus saved you from the wrath of God. The beauty of Jesus is not that he has no wrath. The beauty of Jesus is that he willingly bears the wrath, the full weight of it that we deserve in our place, in my place, so that you might know only his love and his steadfast acceptance of you, only his celebration of you. That's a new concept maybe for some of you. And if so, you're in the right place, okay? So like, I don't want you to walk out of here freaked out like, he said something about Jesus that I've never heard before and I'm indignant and I'm never coming back. Like, come look at Jesus in his, in his word. 
When we see Jesus as he's revealed, it's beautiful. The full picture. So just keep coming back. Last couple of verses here. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Not surprising. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the key of death in Hades. These are the words I want you to walk into the night with. Okay, whatever you're going through or dealing with. Jesus lays his right hand on his children. He says, don't be afraid. Why? I'm the first and the last. He was around before your problems, and he's going to outlast them. I'm the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. How did he manage that? How did he do that? I have the keys of death in Hades. Y'all, somebody's got the keys to the White House. Somebody's got the keys to the tomb of the unknown soldier. Somebody has the keys to Buckingham Palace. Only Jesus has the keys to the death and the grave. That means he owns them. It's like he walked into hell, death, the grave, stole the keys. He's like, mine now. So you don't have to fear death. And if you don't have to fear death and dying, you don't have to fear anything. So fear not. Don't be afraid. Jesus is alive. The words of his mouth may slay the wicked, but they speak comfort and life to the forgiven. So to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.